welcome to the Movie Babble Year End Review Podcast Spectacular. Um, I don't really know what to call this, um, but we are <laughs> putting out an extra episode this week just to go through the crazy year that is 2020, talk about some of the movies that stood out to us, some that we were really into, some that we weren't really into, some that we missed, um, that we wish we could have seen as originally planned. Um, so let's just go ahead and talk about what we thought about the year as a whole. So I think, obviously, there was a much smaller amount of content, but I don't think it was really necessarily worse. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, it was better in the sense that there was a lot more attention on these smaller projects and more of the indie things that could survive, um, at least initially, on streaming services as opposed to getting their billion-dollar blockbuster release. So as far as like 2020 movies go, I think I'm pretty pro. Yeah, it's kind of cool because we had like a few moments where we really did focus on some smaller movies. Like there was that whole that whole time where we just all talked about Palm Springs for a week straight. That was really fun. That definitely wouldn't have happened if something like Black Widow was coming out. But I don't know. I look at my top 10 list from last year and I kind of compare it to this year. And honestly, I kind of like my top 10 this year a little more. So... I don't know if that's recency bias or anything like that. Like, but there definitely was a lot of really good stuff, and I think kind of led by the Small Axe series that Stephen Queen came out, which I consider films, and things like Soul and Driveways and First Cow. Um, there was a lot of terrific stuff. It might have not been the big buzzy blockbusters that we're used to seeing every year, but I think if you did search for it, there was a lot there to, to watch. I'm a little bit more down in the year as a whole. I think a little bit of it is just me not having seen everything that I've wanted to yet, so it might get a little better in the weeks to come. But uh, for me, it was it was tough. I mean, I miss the theaters for sure, as I think we all do. And uh, comparing my list, just kind of eyeballing them there from last year to this year, I do think this year's definitely it, it's a weirder list. It's not. I don't think it's as strong for me personally, but I will say one thing that is good about this year. I'll, I'll reiterate obviously Colin's point. Some of these smaller movies being able to kind of survive for longer is, is great to see. And that happened a lot this year. Um, and then also streaming festivals. I think that's a very interesting thing. I don't know if that'll continue forever. Um, but I thought that was a very cool thing. And, and I mean, they had to make their money. They had to accommodate their festivals in some way without or due to COVID. Sorry. So I think that was a positive for movies this year, just being able to uh, watch uh, film festivals from the comfort of your own home. Um, but I certainly miss uh, going out to the theater. Yeah, and I think we've all had different experiences with this year just based on like where we live and what our jobs are and just how 2020 has impacted our ability to watch movies. So I live in a place where we don't really take restrictions uh, very seriously, which is mostly a bad thing, uh, but it hasn't been that our theaters have been open a little bit longer. Um, so like, we're going to talk about our theatrical experiences here in a, in a minute, but like we've all had very different years. So we've engaged with a lot of different content since there hasn't necessarily been like this, Oh, here's, here's the big, big release for the week. You know, Netflix will have big stuff or you'll get the occasional like hybrid release or the occasional like quote unquote big theatrical release. Uh, but we've all just found different 2020s overall, I think. Yeah, my, the last movie I saw in theaters was Bloodshot back in <laughs> March. So that kind of explains my year in a nutshell. Where, God, I miss the theater so much. But 
Yeah, this in terms of the amount of new movies I've seen, this is the most movies that I've watched in a year since I started Movie Babble. So uh, there has been a lot. I think I'm well over 200 new movies seen this year. So um, I think that blew last year out of the water in terms of what I got to see. But yeah, it's <laughs> it feels really weird because there's I know there's a few movies I would have loved to see in theaters and. Um, obviously there's just like a lot of the stuff we focus on was Netflix and Hulu and HBO Max and even Criterion in our own times. But, um, yeah, God, I just miss the theater so, so much. It's just really depressing. It is, it is. And, uh, that's why I think uh, our next category will give us uh, some good memories. Yeah. And so I know for me, once everything kind of shut down, I was like, I just want to watch everything. Like, <laughs> I wasn't really discriminated on like, oh, I need to hit these new releases this this week. And especially because when things shut down in March, you know, and a lot of these releases just pulled back. And so we did have a very empty probably about two months until we kind of got into the summer where even some of the smaller stuff that would later open up in the year had just kind of pulled back to see what things were going to look like. Um, so I know like for me, my theatrical releases – um, when things open back up have primarily been reruns of old stuff that some I had seen, some I hadn't seen, um, but just stuff I wanted to see on the big screen as opposed to like going to see a lot of the smaller, like indie movies, um, that I saw earlier in the year. But I do want to get into our first category, which is going to be our best theatrical experiences. So, uh, Nick obviously talked about, he hasn't really had theatrical experiences since March. Um, i had one and I, you know, had them up until March and then didn't really have them again until August and have been kind of off and on with them since. And I know uh, Brennan Canada's theaters have been a little hit and miss as well. Um, so we're going to talk about just the whole year. What was the best experience? So this might not be our best movie for the year, but this is an experience we really enjoyed. And so for me, I'm going to go with uh, seeing the Goonies. Um, so I saw the Goonies in August. This was only the second time I'd seen it, and I saw it at this small mom-and-pop theater um, in this town outside of my city. And as far as, like, the actual quality of the the projection and the sound, it sucked. Um, like, it was really <laughs> echoey and just horrid a sound quality. Um, but just, like, that feeling of being in a movie theater again, uh, which had been, you know, almost five months at that point, was just so refreshing. And then just to see, like, this movie that... Um, it just brings you joy uh, <laughs> just to have something that's light subject matter and just to just like really enjoy going to the movies again. Um, so even if this isn't my favorite movie of the year or even, you know, one of my favorites of all time or anything, it was just such a great experience to get back there and get back to something that I really love and really enjoy. Yeah, that's pretty heartwarming. <laughs> uh, mine is a little similar, I guess, because theaters obviously went down in March and then, uh, we opened up around where I am early August, I believe. And that kind of led me towards, it was around my birthday and cases were low. So I said, you know, Tenet just came out the week of my birthday, actually. So I planned it around that, got to go and see Tenet for my birthday, which was a good experience. Uh, I didn't love the movie. I did, I did really enjoy the movie, but that's that it was just really nice to be back in the theater after five, six months. And obviously 
any Christopher Nolan movie, whether you like it or don't, is fun just because your seat rattles um, due to the sound. Uh, so that that was cool. But I did also want to cheat for this category. There's always the one cheater in these types of uh, podcasts. So I'm going to cheat and do two for this one. So the other one is uh, for Tiff. Um, I saw The Father uh, starring Anthony Hopkins, which I will recommend. And whenever that does come out, I hope everyone sees it. But the reason I put this here is because it was a drive-in and I, I, it was so unique that TIFF did drive-ins, uh, downtown Toronto, uh, to kind of accommodate for COVID. Um, that, that was just a super cool experience. I was glad they did that. And it was, it was outside obviously drive-in, but it was just a beautiful, uh, beautiful, huge uh, screen. I had no idea what it was going to look like until I got downtown there. And it was just a, a great kind of uh, experience. So big shout out to them for accommodating in that way. And it was a great movie as well. Yeah, for me, um, I guess this pick, it kind of just better underlines my year of movie watching in theaters. But I'm going to go all the way back to January when I saw uh, Gretel and Hansel. Remember that movie? <laughs> I don't think you do, but I really liked it. Uh, so this is directed by Oz Perkins, who is Anthony Perkins' son, who is Norman Bates. Um, I think it's like his third movie at this point, but this movie is so fucking weird. And I kind of loved that I saw this movie in theaters because it's an unbelievable visual treat. It's it's kind of like a somehow Oz Perkins tricked the studio. I think this was like an Orion Pictures movie, but somehow he tricked them into letting him make like a German expressionism film is basically what this movie is. It's so bizarre and like totally not like commercial at all. Um, so for that perspective, it was just kind of fun watching this because I saw this like really late at night. I don't think it was a midnight screening, but it was a really late one at night. So it was just very trippy and bizarre and I was a little tired and out of it. So I felt like that was like kind of the perfect blending of the two. Um, but it was also really, really funny because I quite enjoyed this movie, but there were some people that for the, this movie was so weird that they were just kind of like, this movie is fucking stupid the whole time. And it was really, really funny to me just kind of like trolling them as I was enjoying this movie. Um, and they were just really bitter at it and like stormed out like halfway through, which I think is kind of <laughs> how most people reacted to this. Cause if you look on Rotten Tomatoes, it's a, it's a fresh movie, 65% from the critics. And then by like, fans it's like at a 23 percent, which i think is hilarious um so that's my pick uh, i don't know i guess i didn't really looking back on it i don't really think i saw many fun things in theaters because i'm not crazy about this movie but this one really stuck out to me yeah i just remember the standee that the amc by my house had for it where it's like somebody pulling hair out of their mouth um and that image is, is just burned into my brain. So I will always <laughs> it's really Gretel and Hansel. It's like 88 minutes. I don't even think it's 90 minutes long. It's like 88 some minutes long of just like weird imagery that like kind of works and goes together. But it's just so dreamy and interesting and hypnotic uh, that I really enjoyed it. But I don't think anyone else did. So, uh, yeah. Other than that, I probably saw like Emma was another great experience for me. But yeah. I go with Gretel and Hansel. Yeah, so yeah, our theater experiences are all vastly different. Um, I tell you one thing, I never intended to watch The Goonies in theaters, um, but it happened. I'm glad it did. <laughs> um, and then when quarantine hit, I got really into TV, um, but then I decided to do like a bunch of binges. Um, so I think 
I think pretty much everybody around the globe had some kind of quarantine binge of a, of a sort. Um, I think some were a little bit longer than others. Um, some were definitely a little bit weirder than others. Uh, so, Brennan, you want to talk about, like, what was your unexpected or what was your kind of big quarantine binge? Yeah, so I did a few. Um, some that I definitely expected to do. Star Wars, uh, kind of looking back on Roger Skywalker and stuff. I did that. Uh, I did a Noah Baumbach one. Um, but probably one that I kind of just waltzed into that I didn't really think I would is a Sasha Baron Cohen one. <laughs> um, so essentially any movie that stars him. I think I started with um, Bruno because I had never seen that. And then just after that, like, for some reason, they were all just on Canadian Netflix at the time. So I'm like, you know what? Tomorrow I'll watch uh, Ali G into house. And then the next day I'll just continue on. And I just kept going and going. And most of them are pretty bad. Um, I, I don't mind them. They're all right. But most of them are not that great. But I had to end it off with the original uh, Borat there because that's uh, that's one of the greats. But that's one of the uh, binges I did that I did not expect to uh to walk into and uh, i think i'm all sasha baron coened up for a little while what did you think of the brothers grimsby <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know that's another one that uh not not the greatest <laughs> um just a wild wild time wild ride but i mean now he's like what third on my letterbox to most watched actors this year so uh thank you mr sasha baron cohen <laughs> uh yeah so like when quarantine started i had already decided i was going to watch all the bond movies um which was quite the experience um but when quarantine started i took a break because like i just got drowned in the roger moore era and so i did like criterion and that devolved into star wars at some point and um just like had a lot of little mini binges and then when i finally came back around to the bond trilogy or the bond trilogy the bond franchise and finished it out um i realized that sean connery was pretty close to being my most watched actor for the year so i was like you know what i can't let these random obscure bond characters who are in like 20 films be my top actor so i was like you know what i don't care what it is if it's streaming and sean connery's in it i'm gonna watch it and so I got into just crazy hits like uh, the 2011 animated Scottish feature Sir Billy, <laughs> um, which is Sean Connery's <laughs> final film role and is just the most bizarre animated feature I think I've ever seen. Um, so it came out in 2011. It looks worse than the Pixar movies from the 1980s. Like Andre <laughs> and Wally B looks just groundbreaking compared to this movie <laughs> and like all the women just have massive massive breasts for no no explicable reason like and they're just like animated so that all the women are just constantly bouncing and it's just like what this is a kid's movie um and then there's like a weird bobsledding sequence that just disconnects from the entire story sean connery plays this like skateboarding veterinarian um which is there's a lot to unpack there <laughs> and then like he just sounds tired the whole movie and they're like trying to save this beaver but then sean connery has a uh goat sidekick played by alan cumming who just pees on things um it's just <laughs> like that's his thing that's what he does 
and he's wearing a Kill Bill outfit. And it's just such a baffling movie. And so I did that and I just got into like a lot of Connery movies. And one thing I noticed is he dies a lot. Like there are so many movies where Sean <laughs> bites the bullet at the end. Uh, but I got into like some solid stuff that I vaguely remember seeing like The Untouchables and Hunt for Red October. I hit Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade quite a few times. Um, I did this movie called Outland where it's basically like a Western from the 1950s where they just put the script in space at the last minute, um, which was just interesting, even if it wasn't very good. Um, First Night where he's playing King Arthur, which is just like a role he feels born to play. Dragon Heart where he plays a dragon who has a heart, um, which is pretty much the plot of that movie. And yeah, so I, I just spent a lot of time with Sir Sean. I think mine, there's a few that I did. One of them was I watched the Don Hartsfeld's World of Tomorrow shorts, which I feel like I've been ramming home for a while, but those are so good. And some of the best like movies you'll see. Um, I watched those. I rented them on Vimeo, which you can do right now. And I watched all of them like 10 times. They're just amazing. Um, but I think my biggest binge was, I think at the beginning of the quarantine when it, it was like that surreal time when remember when South by Southwest put all of their stuff on prime on in the U S for, I think it was like a week or so. And so for an entire week, I was just watching festival movies and it was just very bizarre and certainly a far, far cry from when Colin and I went to Sundance back in January. It just felt so, so weird. Cause it was, I think it was the first time that any of these festivals had really dabbled with putting their stuff online and seeing how what they could do with it there. And I think it's progressed really nicely since kind of as Brennan was talking about earlier, but there was an entire weekend where I think I watched just all South by Southwest short films. So I think my final number was 29. So I watched 29 short films in a single, um, in a single weekend. So uh, that was very, it was a very weird time. I can't remember. I can't tell you if I remember any of them. I think there was one where, a woman was uh, puking up Lego blocks, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> but other than that, it just kind of all blended together, which I feel like has just been the past nine months for me. Yeah, I checked out two of the South by Southwest, one short and one movie based on one recommendation and one unrecommendation from you and Spencer, uh, who's all, who also writes for Movie Bevel. And it was uh, the one where she pukes up Legos, which I thought was interesting at the very least and then uh tfw no gf and uh, oh that yeah, I forgot about <laughs> oh god what a time remember when that movie came out holy hell so uh, wow. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but yeah the, <laughs> it, it's been a weird like grouping of of binge watches for everybody i think really the only winner in 2020 has been well the only winner as far as movies go i'd say there's been some tv winners uh but netflix has just picked up a lot and just distributed a lot um we've seen these past few weeks that they've just distributed a lot of stuff that they've helped produce and so netflix has put out a very solid slate of originals this year so what are some of your guys's favorites um, I love Dick Johnson is dead so so much. 
Uh, I think this was the last one you guys saw at Sundance, and I watched it again when it came out on Netflix. But it is so, so good. And it's a documentary from Kirsten Johnson, who did Camera Person before this, which is also an amazing documentary. But um, this movie is it's about her dad, who is I think he has Alzheimer's or I think it's Alzheimer's, but he is slowly fading away. And so she makes a movie about fake fake killing him for half over an hour and a half and she puts her dad through all these stuntman deaths uh death sequences and they're really funny and bizarre and there's a few other like fantastical sequences that are really really funny but it's a hilarious and just like smart way to look at and ponder death um and it's really sweet and just really funny and dick johnson the titular dick johnson is unbelievable he's so funny and I just love just listening to him talk. And this is just a, a kind of one of those documentaries that'll do all the things for you. It'll make you think, it'll make you cry, it'll make you laugh. It's it's so, it's very bizarre and it's just wonderful. I, I loved it so much. Yeah, it's it's one that I was like two people away from getting in at Sundance. And so I was excited to catch it on Netflix. And yeah, like it's just it's very, very heartfelt and very touching. And then also extremely shocking with a couple of the stunt deaths that Dick Johnson goes through. It's just like, <laughs> damn. <laughs> um, the first one, yes. I don't want to spoil it, but um, there's the first one before the credits that it, it, it that had me howling and laughter. It's so unexpected and amazing. It, uh, it's so good. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't want to spoil it, but there, there are two that I'm thinking of right now that are just like, one just shocks you, and the other is shocking you and just making you hysterical at the same time. <laughs> it's amazing. It's like the one of the be- better tonal balancing acts I can remember of, and like maybe since Parasite, honestly. Like it's like it's all these different things at the same time, and I think it's it just works so so beautifully. It's on my uh, it's on my list right now. I just saw it on. Netflix recently, so I popped it on the uh, on my list. So it's coming soon. Good, watch yeah. it, please. <laughs> um, and then my my top Netflix movie came out um, quite a while ago in the constantly moving landscape of 2020. Um, but it was *The Five Bloods*, um, which was Spike Lee's latest. Um, was Chad McBoseman's. Uh, penultimate movie role. I believe Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was the only thing that came out after that. Um, but this just kind of floored me. I mean, I've, you know, I, I love Spike Lee. Um, Black Klansman was one of my favorite movies back in 2018. Um, and so I had high expectations for this and I think they were met all the way. So I think um, I mean, it's hard to talk about any of these actors and say anything that hasn't been raved about already so i mean delroy lindo is giving um just a phenomenal performance um and especially you know his scenes with jonathan majors where they're two extremely talented actors just really uh taking this movie so much forward um then you have some fun bits with paul walter hauser and then um just seeing chadwick boseman in it as well um which when this came out you know he he was still alive and so it doesn't have i feel like the same effect that it probably would now i feel like i'd probably like it even more if i were to watch it again um but like just what a picture (laughs) 
Um, yeah, that's a good choice. That's a really good choice. I was pretty much between that and my choice being Mank. Um, Mank's a movie, obviously, I think that has kind of uh, came and gone really quick in terms of just its overall conversation. I think uh, maybe a lot of people were expecting something different from Fincher. Um, but I'm really glad he got to make this movie, and I'm glad he made it just because I think that it shows a different side of him that we haven't seen probably ever. Um, it, it's a very artistic film, obviously, and I just loved watching it. And I love that, I mean, it's written by Jack Fincher. He wrote it, his father, his late father, he wrote it, I believe, in the 90s. I think it's so cool that you, you get to make uh, a movie uh, from a screenplay that your dad, your, your passed away father now wrote so long ago. I think that's just so cool. And I've... I watched it, I liked it, but I think it's growing on me a lot more, and I'm definitely going to watch it again with Citizen Kane probably in in uh, in a double feature sort of format. I'm, I'm excited for that. So yeah, Mank has definitely grown on me a little here, and it's, it's my uh, best Netflix original. It's one of those that I think it definitely left a lot of people a little cold. I think it's just, it's so weird and idiosyncratic, like it's... It's using that like affected voice of the time from all the actors and things like that. Um, they're doing all the fast talking and it's really not holding your hand. Like the scenes are moving by really, really fast and it's kind of like whiplash for the first hour or so. Um, but I really love Mank 2. That was in my running for this. I think it's, it was one of my honorable mentions here. But for anyone who hasn't seen it, I definitely recommend watching it with the subtitles on because <laughs> you will be lost if you don't. I think I. I started watching it in the first five minutes. I was like so out of it. So I started, I started it over, put the subtitles on and it was so much better and it was so much more of a rewarding experience. Um, so it's, it's really, really good. And I think it's for me too, it's quickly rising up the ranks of Fincher movies. It's, I think it's, it'll get better and better with each rewatch. Uh, yeah, I think all three of these are just solid across the board. And then, yeah, make is like definitely something really all three of these. I really want to revisit um, which isn't something I say about Netflix originals a lot. Um, so it's it's definitely been a solid year for them. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of their – I mean, it, it had to be with, with just the way everything turned out. They had so many opportunities to kind of steal the limelight in terms of film. But this could be one of uh, Netflix's best overall years for original original films because we have more to come still. And um, there have been other ones as well that, that have landed and have been pretty good. So uh, Netflix did good this year. And yeah, you have, I'm thinking of ending things too, which we didn't mm -hmm. talk about. Um, the kissing booth too, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> and just, like they, they did have a really good, a bunch of good stuff. Like the old guard is another one. That's really good. Um, I think hashtag alive. Was that the zombie? The, the Korean zombie movie? That was, was that yeah, that movie? was, that was a big one a while back. That was a really good one. There was a few others that I, I can't think of too, but. Um, yeah, Ma Rainey as well. I think it definitely. Had, I feel like Netflix is figuring out their their original uh, movie scheme a little better. Yeah, and I think the really noticeable thing about this year was just the lack of blockbusters. So I mean, if you look at like the traditional summer tentpole blockbuster, we had Tenet, and we had Wonder Woman, and and even Wonder Woman, I feel like doesn't have the same atmosphere as Tenet did because Tenet was like you will be in the theater to watch this um, where Wonder Woman has definitely been more of an at-home viewing even if it is a blockbuster movie um, typically but we did still get a solid slate of popcorn flicks um, they just looked a lot different 
Um, so what were some of your guys' favorite popcorn flicks, even if you didn't see them in theaters? Um, for me, you know, I'll, I was thinking of throwing Tenet in here, but I put it in the theater experience just because of the rattling seats. <laughs> but I want to think of a blockbuster that I sat down with and I just like start to finish at a good time. And that's uh, Birds of Prey. Um, what is it? The Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Did I get that? Well, I think, I think that's the right. title's changed like ten times, right? <laughs> right. Isn't okay. like Har- Harley Quinn, comma Birds of Prey or something? That's just, or yeah. like Harley, comma Quinn, something. <laughs> it just the, keep, uh, like keeps changing. The, the 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 Harley Quinn movie with Birds of Prey in the title um, <laughs> came out back in February. It did pretty well. Um, could have done better for sure, but I really enjoyed this movie from start to finish. I think it's a movie that knows what it's going for. It's pretty laid back, and you just have a really good time with it. And I just wanted to look back on all my movie experiences this year, and that might be the one that I had the most fun with, just sitting down and just enjoying it in the theaters, and just period, just enjoying the movie. Um, Obviously not the best movie of the year. I think that there are some issues with it, but for what it was and the blockbuster that it was, I think it was a ton of fun. Uh, Margot Robbie just, I think she really has that role down to a T, and we saw that in Suicide Squad, but she, like, this was her movie here, and uh, I hope to see her again in this role. I think we will, obviously. Um, uh, But this was just a movie I look back on and say, yeah, that's probably the most fun I had uh, with the movie this year. Yeah, the cult of uh, Birds of Prey, I feel like, is already growing. I feel like it wasn't like the most beloved movie and I, I liked it. I kind of, I feel like we feel similarly where I thought it was pretty good, but nothing crazy, like crazy good. But I, there is a, there's a cult of birds of prey that's growing. I think there's it found its audience, even though if it didn't do great in theaters with all of the uh, coronavirus and whatnot, that kind of just derailed its entire theatrical release. But uh, I think for me, I feel like I'm kind of cheating here because I'm picking soul which uh, the new Pixar movie that came out on Christmas, but it's, <laughs> I feel like calling this movie a popcorn flick is a little weird. Cause it's like one of the most existential movies that any studio has released in the past, like, I don't know, five years or something like that. It is one of the more like thoughtful and thought provoking, just mainstream movies that I can remember. It's so terrific. And it's so heady to the point that I wonder if kids would even like this movie this being a Pixar movie, which typically goes towards kids, but I don't really know. I loved Soul so, so, so much. Um, I can't wait to watch it again. It's kind of nice that it's on Disney Plus for free. That way you can just, well, I guess not free because we're paying for it, but <laughs> there's no over the top like there was for Milan or anything like that. But I can't wait to watch this movie over over and over again. Just amazing stuff all the ra- around. Great uh, voice work from Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey and a ton of others and uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's score is unbelievable. Uh, just amazing. One of my favorite movies of the year. Yeah, Soul is, and we, we talked about this on the podcast earlier this week, is just something that floored me um, and is definitely going to be landing pretty high up in my Pixar rankings. Yeah, it's it's an all-timer, honestly, for Pixar. Like It kind of... When you see movies like this, like you kind of like get a little more disappointed when they release something like Onward or I don't know, I I didn't hate Onward, but I feel like that one was more of a movie that's like going through the motions, and then you Pixar comes out with like just an absolute banger and soul. Like this movie is so so good, um, just yeah, one of the best movies of the year. It's it's kind of astonishing that this movie is this weird and um, 
like little kids are just going to watch it while they're opening their presents or I guess where they, they open their presents on Christmas day and watch this. It's just, Oh my God. It's, it's so out there. I love it. Yeah. And then my favorite popcorn movie uh, is pretty recent. Uh, So this came out not too long ago and was, I think the last new release I've seen in theaters. Um, And that was freaky, which is, uh, the Catherine Newton, Vince Vaughn, Freaky Friday murder movie. Um, it, it is just fun. Just start to finish. Um, it actually has a surprisingly strong story uh, with Catherine Newton's character, which, you know, you you would like those in horror movies, but that's not always the case. Um, it has some really inventive kill sequences. And then Vince Vaughn is just hamming it up. And it's just funny to watch. Like, <laughs> it's one of my favorite performances of his. Like, there's a... I don't want to get into spoilers or anything, but there's a scene where he's having kind of a love interest scene because, uh, you know, Catherine Newton's character is a high schooler, um, but they've swapped bodies. So it's her mind and Vince Vaughn's body. And he's like trying to flirt with this guy that she's really into. And it's just one of the funniest things I saw all year. Um, so Freaky is definitely one that I see myself buying when it comes out because I just had endless fun with that. And it's from Christopher Landon who did both happy death day movies, which I also really like. So I feel like he's kind of, he's found his vein as this dude who just makes like these really goofy <laughs> horror comedies that um, I'm here for it. I haven't seen freaky yet, but it does look really, really fun. I, I definitely want to check this out. I was working at the theater and this was supposed to come out like the weekend we shut down. I don't know if I would have checked it out just even, even though uh, just due to COVID and all that, but I think uh, this is definitely one I'm going to look for once it hits streaming or on demand because it looks it it does look like a lot of fun yeah and it's it's one of those things where it takes a very very tired premise and just finds a really interesting way to breathe life into it and you know happy death day is kind of the same thing you know groundhog day has been beaten to hell in all sorts of knockoffs and in quasi remakes um but there's just so much new life and the spin they put on it that it really really pulls it off really well and so that kind of takes us through our popcorn flicks and moves us into our next category, which is going to be glad it didn't suck. Um, so these are movies that whether we expected them to or whether they probably should have been bad, they at least weren't as bad as we thought they would be. Um, so for mine, I'm going to go with the Lego Star Wars The Holiday Special, which isn't my favorite movie of the year, um, but I really didn't expect a lot of. But it's just one of those things that like, it has elements in it that work really well. Um, they have a lot of fun, like jumping through all the older Star Wars movies. And so even if you're only seeing, you know, like a minute of the Phantom Menace, uh, they just get their couple gags in and then leave and then move on. There's like a fight sequence where there's like 30 Obi-Wans fighting 30 other Obi-Wans and Anakins. And um, like they just kind of go ballistic with how ridiculous Star Wars can be at sometimes. And I think it, it just works well. Um, they have a lot of fun with like the Emperor and Kylo Ren and Darth Vader and this little like power triangle between the three of them. Um, and it was just a fun 45 minute special. Do they do any of the, do any of the cast come back through their own voices or is it just an entirely new cast? Uh, so Billy D Williams and Anthony Daniels come back because they're like the only people that have ever really stuck with their characters, but everybody else is, uh, well, and I guess uh, Kelly Marie Tran, who plays Rose, um, also comes back. But it's nice. their like discount Daisy Ridley and discount John Boyega uh, voice <laughs> actors for the most part. 
That's I funny. guess John Boyega was too busy doing small acts to do to do this. <laughs> um, for me, the one that I'm going to go with, I don't know if I ever expected this to suck per se, but I think that The Invisible Man turned out to be a movie that wasn't just good, but was great. Um, so I've seen this twice so far, and it was a wonderful experience in theaters back in February when it first came out. And uh, Elizabeth Moss is just fantastic in this. Lee Whannell did a great job behind the camera. But what is really impressive about this movie is the the visual effects, the practical effects, everything like that. And and especially, I don't know if you guys have seen the behind the scenes, but I've seen a few things on Instagram. Uh, that kitchen fight scene. Have you guys seen any behind the scenes on that? <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it makes me it makes me laugh way too it's, hard. <laughs> it's so cool. It is so cool. And this turned out to be definitely one of the most thrilling movies of the year. It it it, it was certainly a good time. And I mean, I just pulled it up here, $141 million on a $7 million budget. And that's with theater shutting down three weeks or four weeks into its run. So this this most certainly uh, was a great movie and one that turned out to be one of the biggest hits of the year as well. So The Invisible Man is one that I think I'll revisit for sure. It's just a good, good thriller. Yeah, there was a few that I was thinking about for this. Uh, I was really happy that The Way Back was really good, uh, which came, I think that came out the weekend that theaters shut down or the week before. Um, mm-hmm. But Ben Affleck was great in that. I'm really happy that movie turned out pretty good. But I want to go with Borat 2, uh, or Borat, subsequent movie film. I don't even want to try it with the <laughs> subtitle. But uh, I feel like there were so many things that going against this movie, like uh, the, the delayed sequel to a comedy like when has that ever worked ever um and Sasha Baron Cohen is a little older now typically that doesn't work when you're returning to a character there's just all these different things that had me nervous about a second Borat movie but (laughs) this movie is really funny uh I think they played really well into the idea that everyone knows who Borat is so now Sasha Baron Cohen has to go in disguise as Borat in disguise as other things so he's doing (laughs) like almost two accents in one where he's doing Borat doing a bad accent of like what other, other costume he's in. So that was really funny. And then you have Maria Bakalova who just came out of nowhere and is unbelievable in this movie. And I hope gets an Oscar nomination, which seems more and more possible by the day, which is hilarious to me, but she's amazing in it. Uh, yeah. It's this turned out to be really, really funny. And it was a surprise because it was like Prime was like, oh, yeah, we're, we have Borat 2 and it's coming out in three weeks. And it just caught everyone by surprise. But, yeah, it just it just didn't suck. <laughs> I guess it goes with the, t- the title of this category. It was just really, really funny. Uh, it, it's really timely and it dealt with the coronavirus because they were filming in the middle of it. It's just it's just really funny. It, I'm, so, I'm so shocked that they pulled it off. Yeah, it's, what what a movie. Um, just like, and it had so much just hype because of a lot of like political elements of it, and and just like a lot of the on camera reactions you were able to get from politicians. Um, like this movie was just, it was needed. Um, just a breath of fresh Kazakhstani air in the staleness of 2020. <laughs> It kind of did. It was like a big thing for like a week or two because obviously we had the the Rudy Giuliani, uh, whatever the hell happened there, <laughs> um, kind of in that in that climatic scene. But 
it was like one of the few we had a few other movie event things of the year that we all talked about and got together and went nuts over on Twitter and wherever else. But this, I feel like this was one of the bigger ones and it was really fun. It was a surprise that we even got a second Borat movie and the fact that it was good just made it so much more fun. I felt like in the lead up to the election and everything that went along with that, that it just, it just made, it just kind of like let, let, let the air loose a little bit, let us laugh a little bit and get, get rid of some of that tension. I just, I thought it was really terrific. Yeah. Um, yeah, what what a movie. Uh, we're actually going to talk about it a little <laughs> bit more here in a minute. Um, so we like we like movies. Um, we don't always like all the things they do, but sometimes when they do things we don't like, we actually like them more. Um, so we're going to talk about some of our weirdest movie moments. Um, so I'm going to start with mine because mine is pretty tame, um, but it's the reason why this movie has really stuck with me. And that's a Kajillionaire, which Nick and I saw at Sundance and which released um, a few months ago in theaters and on demand. Um, and there's a sequence in the open film where Evan Rachel Wood is like doing parkour in the sense that she's like flipping <laughs> over stuff. But like she never leaves the planking position. And it's just it's such a bizarre and unexpected like movement around this post office where she's trying to sneak into um it's like so weird but it perfectly sets the tone for this movie that you're about to go on in this like hour and 45 minute weirdness you're about to just be immersed in like a big plot point in this movie is that there's soap coming out of the wall of her and richard jenkins and their families um i guess you could call it an apartment it's not really an apartment um and there's just so many bizarre things that happen in this movie and i i love it all the more for it and just how weird it lets itself get I think I was so, when we saw this, I think I was so just not startled by all the weirdness, but I was so taken aback by it that when we talked about this after, there's like a revelation that happens in this movie uh, that I just was not catching up on at all. And then I turned to the call at the end of it. I was like, did you get that? And he was like, yeah, of course. I was like, oh, I guess I'm a moron who didn't <laughs> understand all of this. Because um, it's just like, yeah, it, it peppers you with, so many just weird things. And this was the first movie of Miranda July's that I've seen. And apparently this is just kind of her thing where it's just very, very odd the whole time. But I kind of want to return to this because I feel like I would be better prepared for all of its weirdness and be able to get a lot more out of the movie. Yeah. So if we want to kind of ratchet up the weirdness, I guess you start with that one. I'll take the next step because next is going to be the peak. Um, <laughs> so with mine, we're going to go back to board a little bit. I couldn't really think of too much that was super weird. Uh, but Borat had a lot of odd moments. But this is more funny than weird, I guess. But uh, I titled it here, Borat Disappoints Mike Pence. <laughs> um, you got that one scene there, and, and Borat comes in at the at some conservative convention there. And uh, he he's just screaming in the crowd. And Mike Pence, they turned the, the camera pants to him. And it's just Mike Pence gives this disappointed dad look and, like, if I just tell you like like that that happens in a 2020 movie that happens in Borat, I think people would be pretty shocked. How did he pull this off? Like he kept this movie under wraps while doing this. Wonderful job, Sasha Baron Cohen. <laughs> kind of an iconic moment of movies this year. It's so funny. It's I don't even know if there's like trick editing there. Like maybe they just caught that reaction later on. But I don't know. It's like one of the funniest things I saw in movies it's, this year. His face angry, is just angry like, Mike Pelts. It's hilarious. <laughs> It's just such a great scene. Like 
because Borat just comes running into this uh, like just super conservative conference from like 2018. He's just dressed in full Trump makeup with like Maria Bakalova swung over his shoulder. Uh, <laughs> Michael Penis. It's good. Oh my god. Borat 2 is a treasure. Uh, what, what, a, what a time. Uh, I go for me, um, guys, there's a lot of pooping in movies this year. Uh, we had the ending of Doolittle, where uh, the titular Doolittle, played by Robert Downey Jr. in his post-Iron Man world, um, relieves a dragon of a bunch of junk that is stuck in its butthole, like an accordion and various other things. And that releases the dragon's tension, and then the, dr- the dragon becomes nice again. And then gives her like the gives them the MacGuffin, and that's the end of Doolittle. That's the big third act of that movie. So you got that. But then for the second one, we have just whatever the hell Tom Hardy is doing in Capone, just <laughs> shitting his brains out as just a syphilis-ridden, uh, just Al Capone, just chomping on carrots and pooping. Is I I I don't know what was happening in that movie, but it happened. Um, and then we come to our third one, which is, I think, weirdly the most unsettling of the three for me. And this is Josh Gad, uh, his character, an Artemis Fowl, who his character is named Mulch Diggums. So, uh, yeah, that's that's a thing. Uh, he elongates his mouth with very disconcerting CGI and starts burrowing <laughs> into the ground. And as he does this, like dirt is just like flying out of his ass crack it's just oh my god it, it, it is just very concerning and the weirdest thing is like his pants are still up so it's like dirt is just like flying out through his still intact pants which i know this is like a pg movie but it just had gave me so many more questions about mulch diggums than i wanted to have <laughs> about his digestive tract and everything that happens there so um yeah josh gad pooping and artemis fowl kind of one of the most amazing. It was an. It was a gif right from the start. Um, it just made me very concerned for my well-being, and that Artemis Fowl as a whole is a, just a very terrible movie. Um, and then to just kind of cycle into our last category. Um, so obviously, 2020 did not give us all the movies that 2020 originally promised to give us. Um, so we're just gonna take a second and. Talk about what what are some of the movies we missed the most? So what what 2020 releases were you really looking forward to that ended up not happening in 2020? Um, for me, you know, I gotta fan out here and choose Godzilla versus Kong, which initially was supposed to come out in November, so last month there. And I always thought November was a bad time for a movie like this. I feel like this is a, a summer movie. I, th- I feel like you go on a hot day and you watch this. Uh, and it's been moved to May of next year, and I hope it does stick to that. Because while this franchise, this uh, this MonsterVerse hasn't been uh, all that great, I want to see a Godzilla vs. Kong for this generation and not just two guys in suits fighting each other. Um, I think that we need big CGI monstrosities on the screen and then that's what i hope we're going to get with this and i've always been a big fan of both uh, uh both ips there so i'm just happy to see them clash in 2021 i, I was I, I was upset they got moved but it is what it is yeah um 
so I, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of uh, King of the Monsters, but I really liked Kong Skull Island. And so I think this Loki would have been one of my more hype releases because, I mean, who doesn't like monsters punching each other? <laughs> yeah, at the very least, you just have Kong and Godzilla fighting. I feel like if there, if that is just if that fight is just surrounded by shit, I feel like that's just worth the price of admission alone. Yeah, I I concur. Um, and then my uh, I most looked forward to movie uh, was also just about blowing stuff up. Um, and so I, I can't really explain it, but I'm just fascinated by Free Guy. Um, maybe it's the way they played Mariah Carey's fantasy in the trailer. Uh, maybe it's just the fact that it's like Taika Waititi being weird in the trailer or <laughs> Joe Curie from Stranger Things um, or just Ryan Reynolds being charming. But I'm really excited for this movie. Um, I like that it's an original idea, uh, which we don't see blockbusters of this scale uh, get made with on original ideas very often. Um, I like that it's really trying to play with the video game movie format in a new way, um, since video game movies don't have a very good track record. And I just like all the cast on board. Um, this just looks like a fun summer movie, and I can't wait to see it when it gets released finally next year, hopefully. Yeah, it looks like Ryan Reynolds just doing more Deadpool stuff, which I'm kind of always here for. It just it just always makes me laugh. Maybe that just makes me a dude, but I don't know. It's really funny to me. <laughs> but my I my movie that I missed the most this year is probably The Green Knight as the resident A24 film bro of this podcast. Um, I was really looking forward to this movie quite a bit. It just looks really fucking cool. That trailer is awesome. Got Dev Patel in here, and it's just. It's one of the more famous Arthurian legends, um, one of the best stories. Uh, just it just looks so cool. And David Lowry's directing it, who did a ghost story and all, a couple other really good movies. But um, Dev Patel, Alicia Vikander, Joel Edgerton in there, Sean Harris, I think too. It just looks really fucking cool. I just can't wait for it to come out. Hopefully next July. Yeah, it's a uh, it's this was supposed to be the year of Dev Patel. Because he had Green Knight, he had uh, David Copperfield, which I I think was pretty solid um, overall, even though that's kind of disappeared from the conversation. Um, but hopefully we can get back to we can have another year of Death Patel. Yeah, that's last always it's always the year of Death Patel. I love Death Patel. <laughs> that's the last one I saw in theaters. Uh, David Copperfield. That's the last movie I've seen in theaters. <laughs> it's uh it's pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I. Fortunately, these all seem to be opening um, next year. We'll see. We could be wrong. Come um, on, vaccine. Like that's what's going to happen. <laughs> um, so before we wrap up, are there any other movies you guys just want to kind of highlight um, that you saw or really enjoyed in 2020? Um, all of Small Acts. Uh, just Stephen Queen is probably one of the best living filmmakers right now. And I, I consider all of those installments of small axe films and i think he does too so those are all great um other than that i want to quickly uh give a shout out to driveways which uh it's just 85 minutes of people being nice to each other <laughs> it's just it's really wonderful and it stars brian dennehy and i think his last role he died i think shortly before the movie came out so check that one out if you want to just like have a good cry and good just make you feel good um, I'll, I'll give a quick shout out to Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always, which are directed by Eliza Hitman there. And I believe that's a movie that 
probably, uh, as we talked about earlier, wouldn't have been as big in a regular uh, year as it is. A, it is a pretty small indie movie, but the fact that it did get to have a little bit more of just kind of a streaming push overall, I think that it was able to um, kind of get in the conversation a bit more than it would have. And I'm glad it did because it was a, a, a very good movie. Yeah. And I think for me, uh, one movie that I've just kind of been raving about all year that I saw at Sundance is a relic, um, which is just my favorite movie of the year um, at this point. And unless I think promising young woman might be able to, to make a vie for it, but I, I don't see that really changing a whole lot, uh, which is just this really inventive horror movie. Um, it just really eats up this very small set and this very small cast. And it's just creepy. Um, like you thinking about the visuals of it long after it's gone. Um, and then the other movie that I really enjoyed was Palm Springs, which, you know, I, I had some expectations for um, being a pop star fan, but uh, that movie just blew me away. It was so much fun. I love everything that uh, J.K. Simmons has ever done, and this is no exception. I think Andy Samberg uh, dancing, that dance montage towards the beginning, <laughs> I, I think is one of the funniest things I've seen this year. It's it, it's. I think I rewinded it like five times when I was watching it. It's just, it's just pure Andy Samberg, and it's so, so funny. Uh, there's, a, there's a very brief sequence in the earlier part of Palm Springs where Andy Samberg is trying to convince Kristen Biliotti's character that he seduced her dad, that I had to pause the movie. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> <laughs> like I, had to, I had to stop because I was missing out on what happened afterwards. But yeah, it's a uh, 2020 has not been the year we expected it to, but it has been a year. And I think there is still a lot of content. Um you know, when, when everything shut down, we thought, you know what, two months, we'll get back to normal. We'll just have, you know, a little bit more cramped of a summer. And then it became, oh, are we going to be able to watch anything at all this year other than Tiger King? Uh, but I think overall, like, there is a pretty good slate of movies still coming out. Um, you know, the, the format and the experience changed a lot, but I think 2020 was still very solid overall. Yeah, there was a lot of really, really good stuff. And I'm I'm looking forward to whatever the next two months may bring, because obviously there are still some stragglers that will come out and they'll be um, eligible for the Oscars. So maybe there's something that hasn't come out yet that we aren't talking about here. But yeah, I think there was a lot of really good stuff, a lot of really good stuff on streaming. I think Prime Video had a really good year. Um, they released a documentary, Time, which is one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, I think it was just the year of streaming. I think we were always going this way, but I think just everything just accelerated the path towards uh, what we're going to focus on is just all the streaming services that we have. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's it's definitely been a game-changing year, but I'm excited to see what things look like as we hopefully get back to normal, um, or at least a new normal uh, with the streaming and theatrical dynamics. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of see. But uh, thanks for listening to us throughout the year. We'll be back next year. And by next year, I mean in like three days. Um, we'll be talking about uh, new releases, uh, maybe what we're excited for for the new year. But remember, you can always check us out online at moviebabble.com. Bye.